Hey, Girlmancers. We're back a little bit late, but better late than ever. Welcome to our fourth Girlmance Book Club Book of the Month, Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Hi, Sam. Hi, Elsie. Hey. Hi. Oh, guys, do we have a story for you? For all of you who don't know, which is all of you, we lost our recording. So we're coming to you from the future right now. Um, this is take two of the Malibu Rising podcast. We had an amazing first pass at this conversation like a few days ago, five days ago, I would say. And I don't know, you know, Mercury's maybe in retrograde. Technology <laughs> failed us. A whole combination of human the error. Universe wanted us to learn a lesson and we learned our lesson. Yeah. Record. <laughs> just properly know how to record on zoom yeah so basically the recording didn't save we finished the conversation literally screaming at each other that this is the best conversation we've had we were okay. so articulate best podcast best podcast we have ever done conversation was flowing it was so good and then yeah. it didn't save but guys we are girlman's book club and you know what our motto is we are learning, we are growing, we are living, we are <laughs> laughing, thriving. we are loving, we are thriving. And because due to popular demand, we are re-recording our podcast episode because there's so much to discuss about this book. And I know that people share the same thoughts as us and want to hear our thoughts. So we need to we need to do it all over again ladies we needed to discuss we couldn't not discuss this book especially because tjr is one of our favorite authors and it gave us so much joy recording the first time that we needed to do it again and also we couldn't deny a dual plot line <laughs> <laughs> yeah we 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 are living our real life dual plot line right now where we have past girlmance and current girlmance so i feel like on that note um at sam in the editing suite roll the tape <laughs> take two can't believe it's the end of june another month down another book read we are officially mid year that's so scary where did to think the about? last six months go? I know. Like the fact that it's like July is mental to me. The, the first four months of 2021 were so long. And yes. now these past two months, just too fast, too quick. And it sucks because like now's the nice time of the year where we want to like enjoy every moment. And of course, the nice weather days are just flying by. Flying by. And like, how can we get it back? We can't. Flying by. And well, also, no regrets, guys. <laughs> no regrets, of course. But also it's a little stressful because this is the time of year when it's all like the summer beach reads and there's so much to read and so much to discuss that like we're feeling overwhelmed. And apparently so little time. It's the most overwhelming time right now, honestly, to be my TBR. I went through my Goodreads actually a few days ago because I was like, this is getting out of control. And there's books that have been on here for literally a year and a half that I never gravitate to. So I don't think I'm ever going to gravitate to them. So I may as well just take them off. And like, 
I was totally having like hoarder's remorse where I was going through it and I was like, okay, but maybe one day I'll want it. I don't want to remove it. And it's just like a nauseating thing to look at and see you have like 97 unread books and just knowing like this will take years. I refuse to take anything off my Goodreads because I'm like, I might for like right now I don't want to read it, but I might then forget about it and then I don't want to miss it. So I just keep adding and adding. There's a reason why it was on your TBR to begin with. Like that's for me, luckiest girl alive, which has been on my TBR for the past two years, the past two months on our girl man's TBR. And will I ever get to it? Probably not. But am I taking it off? Hell no. It's the intention that counts. It's the intention. And you know, I, I always set my mind to doing something and I'll get to it eventually, but like, it's always that little push that I need. And so maybe it's when they finally start production on the movie that I'll read it. Wait, it's becoming a movie. Mila Kunis is going to be the main character. I had no idea. I'm someone that usually like just loves every book and all books (laughs) (laughs) and I like honestly I it's not because I want to give it like a fair chance or anything it's just I I love what I love and I love life and I love everything (laughs) Sam Sam, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book and I know that Sam will give it five stars so if anyone wants Sam to do an arc of your book we'll make Sam read it because it's a guaranteed five (laughs) I think I just look for the good in every single book. You do. You're so optimistic. You're also just like a ray of sunshine in life. So that's just like what it is for you. You are. I was just going to say, it's so funny because whenever I'm with my friends and like, they've been asking for like recommendations now and stuff. And they're like, but mad, like you like everything. I'm like, not anymore. Like I used to like every TV show, every movie, every book, and would never stop watching because I felt bad to like stop watching the show or something. But now (laughs) I'm like, guys, I think that now because I'm in my thirties, I'm just more like cutthroat. Like if I don't like it, I'm not finishing it. And I'm, I'm not going to give it a good review just for the sake of it. So I think that's such a good mindset though, to have, like, you don't need that, those like things in your life that aren't going to give you joy. Like, I feel like I'm just like, we're doing a deep talk, like real talks right now, but like <laughs> this is going past books, but like. I was just trying to say that like, I don't really can't deal with my TBR. That's all that I was trying to say. We all these like, like classic me, <laughs> classic me just trying to veer the conversation into like this emotional, deep level that it didn't need to go into. I appreciate the psychoanalysis. No, we love it. I really love her. Let's talk about how we all wish that we were in Malibu right now. Um, Wish. Like, wish. I mean, yes. That's the only place I want to be in right now. The only place. Like, while reading this book, and we will obviously – share our thoughts. But while reading this book, I was Googling every spot in Malibu. I was Googling the addresses. I had a street view of what the house looked like, where the party was. Actually. Address. Yes. That's amazing. What's and the house like, like? You can't see it because it's, a, it's actually the highest point of the cliff, like of the mountain. So like it's described so well. So it's literally at like at the edge, at the end of the street, you just see like a gate, but I was trying to like zoom in, but there's trees and stuff, but like you can see a, a little bit of it. And then I was, I think I was Googling, there's another address. 
I forget, but I was looking like all over Malibu and I was typing in like Nobu Malibu and like Bachelor Mansion because they the mansion <laughs> Malibu and just like seeing all these places in Malibu because LA is my favorite place to travel. I've only been there twice, but it's my favorite place to go to. <laughs> and Malibu is like Malibu is a dream that I want to go to. So, oh my God, California is the number one trip right now that I want to go on. Like I just, I want to go to California. I have in my notes on my phone, a whole list of probably like 40 different places I want to go to. And it comprises of like, um, restaurants, um, mostly where like you can find celebrities. Here we, I have the funniest story in 2008 or 2009, my family booked a trip to go to California and we were going for two months. And like the first month of it was going to be like LA, San Francisco, like touristy things. And then the second month, my parents rented a house in, um, I forget what part of California, but like on the beach, they rented a beach house. And anyway, so before the first month of the trip was like the LA part of it. And my parents also like were saying like, Hey, where do you guys want to go? And I was young. I think I was like in grade eight or grade nine. And I literally would go every day after school on the just Jared website and scroll to see like where Miley was going, where the Jonas brothers were going. And I was like, I have to hit all these spots. And that's how I found out what Pinkberry was because Miley was always going to the Pinkberry in West Hollywood. And I went to that Pinkberry. I like went to Malibu because I needed to see surfers. I like, wanted to go to Pepperdine University. My dad told me not. I wasn't allowed to apply. Yes, like from Zoe 101. Literally because of Zoe 101. Yes. I think because of me on campus. Like it's not okay. But I was obsessed with this idea of California, but especially Malibu. So reading this book, I was just like, I'm living my like dream. Like I would love to go back, especially as an adult, I would love to go back. But well, anyway, um, very funny. One, one of one of my biggest flexes is that uh, David, my brother, and I are in the background of just Jared pictures, paparazzi pictures of Nick Jonas leaving a restaurant. And we're in the background, like chasing him down the street. No, they were the best pictures I've ever They're seen. The best pictures, honestly, fame to fame. <laughs> honestly, we should post these pictures on our Instagram story when we drop the episode and be like, "If you know, you know." Listen to episode four. Yeah, if you want the real story, the full. Let's story. do it. Yeah, and if you're listening to this now and you came here from our Instagram story, hi. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Okay, guys, let's get into it. Let's let's uh, first do a brief summary from Goodreads, what Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid is about. Malibu, August 1983. It's the day of Nina Riva's annual end of summer party and anticipation is at a fever pitch. Everyone wants to be around the famous Rivas. Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel, brothers Jay and Hud, one a championship surfer, the other a renowned photographer, and their baby sister, Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the offspring of the legendary singer Mick Riva. The only person not looking forward to the party of the year is Nina herself, who never wanted to be the center of attention and who has also just been very publicly abandoned by her pro tennis player husband. By midnight, the party will be completely out of control. By morning, the Riva mansion will have gone up in flames. But before that first spark in the early hours before dawn, the alcohol will flow, the music will play, and the loves and secrets that shape this family's generations will all come bubbling to the surface. Malibu Rising is a story about one unforgettable night in the life of a family, the night they each 
have to choose what they will keep from the people who made them and what they will leave behind. Ooh, thank, she's- thank, thank you to our official sponsor, Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> that makes she's me want to reread this book again. Honestly, that whole plot line, it just like intrigues me and gives me, like, leaves me wanting more. Well, we were a little worried considering that we've read a few books since reading Malibu Rising being, I guess, present tense, but just <laughs> reading that summary, it's such, it, it is such a detailed summary that it just takes me right back to the eighties in Malibu and it's where we all want to be. So it really yeah. did. It took me right back into the storyline and mm-hmm. back into that party. Just really honestly needed that refresher. So For sure. Well, let's, before we get into some book club questions, let's discuss our overall thoughts of the book. So Sam, what did you love about Malibu Rising? Honestly, there wasn't much that I didn't love about this book. From the very first page, I was definitely hooked. I think mostly due to the fact that this famous Malibu party actually took place on my birthday just 10 years <laughs> before I was born. But like so true. the fact that it took place on my birthday, I just couldn't not get that date out of my head. So I knew right away when it was going to ba- go back to that party, I knew it was that day. Um, but forget about that. Um, there was so much content and story within the one book with the two different timelines, which I love within a book. And the two different parts, I definitely liked the first part more. I was more intrigued because it was giving you a whole backstory behind the Riva siblings and the parents that I absolutely loved. I love a story about the bonds of siblings and family dynamics, and it gave you all of that and even more. I loved reading about each of the different characters because they were so complex and there was more to them than just their character. They were so dynamic. And this book was a perfect mix between celebrity culture, which is my favorite, and family drama. And honestly, it just, it stuck with me while I was reading it. And once I was done, I needed more and more from it. And the last book that I had read by TJR was Evelyn Hugo. And while I was reading the first part, I honestly thought that this was going to exceed Evelyn Hugo for me. Um, It didn't once I got to the second part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But honestly, I, it was, you can't even compare the two stories, but I still really loved this book. It's so interesting that you say that you didn't like the second part nearly as much because I really loved the second part. Like I continuously was intrigued throughout the book. Like evenly, I didn't find that like my attention was lost. I like started the book and was obsessed with it. And I was petrified that it was going to teeter off. And like, thankfully it didn't. I really, I was like praying that it wasn't going to, especially after adoring Evelyn Hugo and Daisy Jones and One True Loves and some of her other books. But I have to agree with you. Like the book was honestly incredible. There was really, really not much to say other than like 
she Taylor Jenkins Reid just does an incredible job at like building story worlds and the fact that she was able to like keep us entertained and intrigued and create this whole fictional universe that seems so real with such compelling characters and like deep storylines and different point of views and even like I, I was worried at one point that there was going to be it was going to be too confusing to keep up with all the different siblings and all the different storylines but it was so concise and like so well done and that's just such a credit to Taylor's like writing style and her ability to create a story. But I think my favorite part overall, well, I had a lot of favorite parts, but one part that I really, really did love that I feel like people are talking a lot about and it deserves to be talked about is all of the callbacks to her other books and like the mentions of like Evelyn Hugo and like the Vivant magazine where Monique works in Evelyn Hugo and all those little subtleties. Like it just, it's her mind is insane. And she just like reminds me of Taylor Swift in the way that Taylor Swift drops like Easter eggs in all of her songs yes. and how like, it's yes. so genius the way it's that she's so able to drop those little eggs that yeah. you don't even realize until sometimes like me, I didn't realize until after I was reading other people's reviews and I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that was a part of another world. It's like her own little universe that she, that she like thoroughly that she intentionally creates. It's, it's crazy. mind blowing. Like this book came out this year, like 2021. Evelyn Hugo came out when? Like 2017. Daisy Jones came out, I think, like 2019 or something, right? Mm-hmm. When she created Evelyn Hugo, when she made Evelyn Hugo marry Mick Riva, spo- sorry, spoiler, but that's one of the seven husbands. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, she in her head already knew what she was going to do with Mike Riva in a book so far down the line. Like, it's just so intentional and she's so smart about it and it's so well done. It's like very strategic, I find. And I love that about her. I feel like she just has like, like on a, like on her wall at home, just like all these different characters and like, you know, like where they put like, like, like an you know, FBI. Right? Yes. Like, like FBI, like the red, the red yes. string. <laughs> all the different connections. And yes. Just- Everything she's, that you would not a, even imagine. A, yeah, she's a genius mastermind. Yeah, agree. Like, I feel like everything is just so well thought out. And I and mean, everything is so intentional. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a little different for me because I haven't read Evelyn Hugo. And that is officially on my July TBR, just saying. Um, so <laughs> for me, like, I don't, like, I obviously now know that Mick and Evelyn were married. Spoiler alert. Thanks, Elsie. But... <laughs> It's honestly not even a spoiler. It's not even a spoiler. She's seven husbands. It's It's not about Mick. It's about (laughs) Evelyn. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's women's fiction. For me, like, I haven't read as much TJR that I've wanted to, but this book just really draws you into that world, and I'm so excited to read more. Um, For me, what I loved, I, like, I feel like we were kind of on the same page of what, like, we all loved, like, but for me personally, um... I loved the dual timelines. The books that we've been reading recently have all had dual timelines. And I'm just like loving that we get to read about that backstory to see where they are today. So I love the dual timelines. For me, I also, I like part one better than part two. Just learning more about their family and them growing up and relationships and their family dynamics. I was just really drawn to that. And in part two, I get that, that Taylor wanted us to just be like immersed in this glamorous Malibu party in the eighties. But I just, it was a nitpick for me that there were just too many side characters, which to me is 
I guess, a little bit bothersome. And it just took a little bit away from the focus of the story. Like, I'm not sure if we needed to know all of them. Maybe we know that TJR is a genius, that it could be about some new book coming out that those characters are important. Yeah. I'm wondering why, like, why they're mentioned, why they keep being mentioned. Oh, she's definitely making a whole book about Tuesday or Bobby. (laughs) Yeah, one of those characters. But like, one of those characters. But like, for example, Evelyn Hugo's 60s. Daisy Jones, 70s. Mm-hmm. Malibu Rising, 80s. Like, I have to believe that the part two setup is literally just the bare bones of what you need yeah. to know for her 90s book that's coming out. Like, it, it's got to be. there. She's it's too intentional. Be, because otherwise, I'm like, why is this important? Like, why is Tuesday Hendrix important? What is she going to add to the story? Why do I need to know who is arrested and this and that? So it's like, I'm thinking maybe there'll be something, but yeah. like we know Taylor. So, um, but otherwise that was just a little bit of a drawback for me, but it, it was pretty minor. Um, but I did love part one, but I mean, like Taylor Jenkins Reid, she just infuses so much more into her writing. Like there's just something about the way that she writes and describes the characters, the plot, like it just draws you in and it kept me riveted from beginning to end. Like on the surface, I don't think that there's, when you just read, I guess the summary or when you just hear about the story, like there's nothing immediately super special that's going to make you want to like pick up this book other than it's her story. But she's just so good at bringing this, creating this world that how she describes the characters and like everything about them. Like we were saying how it was so easy for us to do our Hollywood treatment and how it's so clear. We could see what the characters look like and we keep discussing. So, I mean, she's just, um, she's just a genius. So I know that in, um, in July, I'm going to read Evelyn Hugo. I need to read Daisy Jones. Don't come at me. I'm going to read them. (laughs) But um, There's never been a casting more, easily come to my mind than this Hollywood treatment. Sam, I could say that. Like was so detailed with every single Riva family member. I feel like I knew right away. Yeah, I agree. We'll we'll get into our Hollywood. Yeah, we'll get to that. But I mean, like after 20 pages, I knew exactly who Mick and June were going to be. So, but we'll get into our, our Hollywood. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so let's get into some book club questions and let's take a deep dive. Get it? Dive, ocean, oh, surfing. Love that pun. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. Cowabunga. So okay. TJR with the Easter, like, <laughs> I'm just dropping Easter eggs everywhere. <laughs> okay, Only Madison. we could be half or like a third as, as smart as her. No, guys, Madison's on summer vacation now, so she's tur- transformed from a teacher into an Easter bunny. <laughs> I'm just really, I'm just really chill in the summer, so I'm just much more laid back and chill. <laughs> Yeah. Like if I was working and you guys asked me to re-record this, hell to the no, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We're getting okay. a whole another side of Madison. This is the summer Madison. Yes, summer. Okay. So the story is told in multiple timelines and the majority is focused on the four siblings and the parents. Why do you think it was important for us to read about their parents' relationship and fallout? And what did you guys think of all the siblings? 
So I think it was very intentional the way, again, she's just so intentional. That's going to be like the word of the podcast. But I think in order to understand how the kids cope and live in the current time of the 80s, you have to understand the way their parents were brought up themselves and how they brought up their kids. So I think there was like a lot of parallels between obviously June and Nina, like the mom and the daughter. And then again, a lot of parallels between, or not even parallels, but a lot of like, um, what's that word? I don't even think there's parallels between June and Nina though, because you don't No, like there was, there were to a point, but then like Nina really took her life by the reins and yes, at the end, but that's where she totally learned how not to live her life through her mom's for sure. But like throughout the entire book, they were totally drawing those parallels where you're supposed to see that she's like leading the same life her mom led. And and that was her, that was her harboring so much more of like Nina wasn't led any other choice, but to take care of her siblings because of for sure her, the abandonment from her mom and her dad. For sure, but she still always reflected on the fact that this is how her mom was too and her mom couldn't get out of a bad relationship and her mom was stuck taking care of everybody and mm-hmm. it's what she had to do so she did it. But did she love to do it? We don't know. Like, it was a lot yeah, of Yeah, and maybe she wouldn't have made that choice. Nina wouldn't have maybe if her siblings and her didn't come together and come to that realization. At the right, like end. if they weren't put in that circumstance of the dad walking yeah. in and them and then the mom drowning accidentally in the bathtub but um yeah I think that it was like really important to have those two timelines and I loved both of those timelines like I loved learning about Mick and June and their like love story and I honestly wish it could have lasted because I thought they were really cute but I really also loved learning about each of the siblings and all the things that they struggle with as a result of their upbringing like especially HUD whose birth mother he never knew and was kind of just like left on the doorstep um, at the Rivas and when the birth, his birth mother was like, yeah, Mick got me pregnant. This is my kid. I can't care for him. His name's Hud. Bye. I'm I like, think it's so oh. beautiful. The fact that like you wouldn't have even have known that Hud wasn't their full sibling. Yeah. If they hadn't even gone through that whole storyline. Yeah. Like sure. they really just had each other's back. They really were resilient with each other. They even to the point where Hud and Jay were in a huge blowout, but they were still able to come through that and realize what's important in life. Because family is what you have in the end. Exactly. They really only had each other. Well, I also love like the relationships between the four siblings. Like first I loved learning about Mick and June's relationship and their love story at the very beginning, but also like the four siblings, how they remained so close and kept such a tight bond and how like they all came together when, you know, Mick abandoned them. And when June died, like just how they all came together and all helped each other, even though like they were all different ages and even just like how you wouldn't even know about HUD like just how June treated him as his, as her own son and the siblings treated them as their own brother. Like just the family dynamics and the relationships were so close and such a tight knit bond. I just really enjoyed reading about their family dynamics too. Yeah, I did too. There's honestly nothing more special than reading about sibling dynamics. And honestly, 
I think it was so relatable and endearing to read about. And especially like they went through so many struggles and issues and it was so believable, their dynamic. It wasn't, it was so flawed compared, like each, each member was, was flawed to the next member that you just felt so much for them. Mm -hmm. So we know that in the story, Mick abandons his family and then June ends up drowning. And unfortunately she dies. Why do you think that Mick didn't come to the funeral and try to maintain some type of relationship with his kids? I was a little surprised. Like I wasn't actually surprised, but I really thought that he would go to the funeral, maybe like be at the back or something like maybe not interact with the kids at all, but just even acknowledge it, which he didn't. I think that was so intentional from Taylor that he didn't even go to the funeral. I think Taylor just wanted the readers to realize how Mick just was not even there. He just didn't even care to be there. And you, Taylor didn't want the reader to sympathize for Mick in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I agree. She just wanted it to be that he was completely disconnected from his family and that they were not a priority to him at all, which is really, really sad. But I think that's the truth. And I think that I'm going to go out of here on a limb and say that like Mick was the truest like narcissist I've Mm -hmm. honestly read in a book in a really friggin' long time. Like really so self-serving, so selfish, so like a true narcissist, honestly. And like your wife tragically dies and you have four kids at the time how many kids yeah four Four? yeah four kids yeah four kids at home young none of them of age Mm -hmm. and you're just gonna like keep going at the pace you're going like that's some true messed up messed up I think he would have been the first one to acknowledge the fact that he didn't care to even come home to be with his family. Right. He, thought, he wanted that. And it sounded like such a nice idea, but he, in reality, he didn't want that in life. No, it just only, wasn't. Yeah. It like wasn't the only part of his rock star lifestyle. Right. And the only reason he comes back at the end is because he's at complete rock bottom where he has literally nothing. So he's like, oh, yeah. may as well try. Like now I guess, sure, my, well, may as well give it a go. Like, But even the fact that you're saying like may as well, he still just didn't even care. Yeah. Like he just well, didn't need to be there. He, he's actually one of the characters that I've, that I've read in such a long time where like I've never hated like disliked a character so much before. Like I can't even think of a book where I disliked a character as much as Mick. And then, you know, I didn't know anything about Mick or anything. I don't know how he was in Evelyn Hugo or anything, but what, you know, when you're reading about like their love story at the very beginning and he's like, trust me, June, like, we're just like, like, I'm like shouting at June, like, don't trust him. Like this is (laughs) going to end. Like, you just know, like there's so many red flags. Yeah. Oh, he is a red flag. He is the red flag. He is the epitome of a red flag. Yeah. He is a flag rouge. (laughs) A la Max. (laughs) Seriously though. A grand gros flag rouge. He was more in the book and at the end of the book to show the kids what they didn't weren't missing out on. I agree. I really and to move that. their 
storyline further. I agree. That's so true. He was his his return at the end of the book was strictly to provide the kids agency a thousand percent. Like there was no reason for him to come back. And I honestly like if you're listening to this podcast, I hope you finish the book. And if you didn't like come back to this when you're done, but <laughs> I really thought by the end of the book, he was going to die. Like that's how I thought the book was going to end. I was yes. like the life Never. and times of Mike Mick Reva peace out, sir. Like you were a horrible fucking man. Like that's really where I thought that it was going. And it obviously didn't end that way, but I felt no remorse for him. Like when he was groveling, not even groveling, but when he came back to his kids and was just like, give me a chance. I want to try. I, I, I didn't even exactly sound what you said before. Like I felt no sympathy for him. Like mm-hmm. you chose this life. You made your bed now lie in it. Like that's it. Yeah. And I don't think the kids even wanted to have that relationship with him. Right. I think they just more wanted like some sort of explanation from him. And maybe that's why Kit invited him every single year to that party. So just sad. Like, poor Kit. I know. Poor, poor Kit. Justice Kit. for Kit. Justice for Kit. Yeah. It's honestly, it's really sad seeing each of them live out their lives and have that struggle with not having their parents, but like, at least they have each other. And it's, unimaginable but at least they got that closure for themselves from by the end of the book to some extent yeah to some extent exactly I think I don't think they would have like really cared either way like I think like if he showed up he like he gave them an explanation but I think if he didn't come there they would have just kept going on with their lives and like yeah. that's how like that's how they've always lived that's how yeah. they've always lived Yeah, I think it almost, though, like, taught them that they could just keep on moving forward. Like, they don't need to live their lives for their dad or need to stay in some constant state. They need to live their lives because of where they are in their lives and who they are. And they're so resilient, too. Like, you learn that, too, like, about them, like how they're so close and how resilient they are that like they can manage and they can live without a mother and a father too. But yeah, you know, at, at romance book club, we love growth in a story and there was some character development um, from the siblings. Like I think some may argue that there there's more in some characters than in others, but did you guys see any character development in, in the book? To me personally, it was, it was just from Nina. Like I think leaving Brandon, leaving Brandon for good (laughs) at the end of the book, like that was her growth and character development. But to be honest, like I didn't really see uh, growth from, from any of the other characters. And I wish I saw more, like, I think, you know, like we learn about Kit and I think like Jay and HUD, they obviously like made up at the end of the book, but I, we could have seen a little bit more growth from everyone. And I, I do think that Nina was the star of the, of the story. So I think that we saw the most, the most growth from her, but what do you guys think? I agree. I think that Nina was the star of the story. I don't think, I think that when I think about this book, I first think about Nina out of all of the characters Mm -hmm. and Nina obviously is the oldest. So she's been through the most, but, and also she was taking care of her siblings and she had a lot of issues to deal with, with herself, just like 
realizing that she does, they don't, her, her siblings didn't need her as much as she thought they needed her. And even HUD with Ashley, like they had to go through, I would even, I would love to see a whole book with just HUD and Ashley. I know. Honestly, this book was set up perfectly for a bunch of mini novellas. Or, a t- or a, well, th- it's also becoming a TV series, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, like, they could go into more depth about other characters, but we need it to be... It'll like, be epic. Yeah. Leanna, did you see any character development from any of the characters? I think, like you both said, Nina did the most growing of all of the characters from like the beginning of the book to the end of the book. But I also think that like Kit obviously came into her own, like we were just talking about, but a part of me also feels that like the brothers know it wasn't such a huge trajectory and like so obvious their growth, the way that like Nina's was, I think that like the way that they coped with their own little hurdle, their own obstacle between them with the girlfriend, Ashley, like, I feel like that shows a lot of maturity and growth and like, being able to just cope and deal. And then all of them together collectively as siblings, I think just denying Mick Riva of the privilege of being their father and engaging with them and opening up that book again, I feel like shows a lot of growth and what like strong will and just like knowing like what's good for you and doing what's good for you and not like succumbing to pressure of somebody else. Yeah. yeah. As much I as we like- love growth within a book, I think that this book wasn't meant to show much growth. I think it was just, a book about a family and mm-hmm. about their struggles and their flaws. Mm. And even in celebrity culture and everyone isn't perfect. No one is perfect. Everyone yeah. has their shit. And that this was a story about a family going through a lot of that. Yeah. Agree. Agree. But also, you know what I found very strange? The what? whole Jay and... Lara, Lara. Yeah, like I don't really understand I, the purpose I, of that. What was the purpose of Lara? I thought like, and then I thought something was going to happen to her when she left or something. Yeah. Like I didn't really get that storyline at all. I don't know what the purpose of her and Jay being a couple, but then like I she wasn't into him. I feel like it was more to prove how like Jay was trying to find somebody like a companion. Like he didn't like Ashley, but like said that he loved her, like things like that. Like, I just feel like he was looking for somebody to latch onto because he didn't have parents growing up. Like, I think he was just looking for that person to like lean on and was like, he even kept saying that he didn't find her attractive. Like it just kind of felt like he was grasping at straws and just like wanted that person. Yeah. And he was like, like kind of losing his identity as at the same time also because he found out about his heart issue. So yeah. I get that. I think he was trying, he was going through an identity crisis, but that's where I would have loved to see some sort of resolution or growth with him that we didn't get to see. Yeah, I agree. Like, I yeah, I think that it's just showing that like that's, like who he is, like he falls hard, he loves hard, like, and like falls quick and like gets like easily attached, even though like he's not attracted to her, but then he's in love with her and like obsessed with her. So like, I think it's just showing like that part about him, but there was really nothing to it otherwise. But you know what it also could be though? You know how he was always the big show and blow guy 
he was the surfer in the family and he thought that he was the end all be all as a surfer. But then HUD and everyone else was like, no, like, have you never seen Kit surf before? Mm -hmm. I think it was more to show us that like Jay wasn't who he really thought he was. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. It's honestly like his dad. Yeah. Yeah. He has a lot of Mick qualities. He has some. Definitely. Being too big for your britches or whatever that saying is. Yeah. Like a big ego. Yeah. And like thinking he can like get everyone and anyone. And And the fact that Ashley left him and Mm -hmm. was ended up with HUD. Yeah. And then he ends up with no career and Kit ends up with the career and he ends up with no girl and Hud ends up with the girl. Not like it was supposed to be about that, but like. It's just interesting. It's yeah. very interesting to think about. I've never really thought about Jay too much into detail, honestly, but I love when we do a deep dive. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like interesting to think about how certain, tr- certain people in your life can trigger one little thing that goes wrong in your own life. For sure. Well, we know that um, part two took place um, over one night, a huge party in Malibu. I know like, uh, well, Sam and I said that we like part one better than part two, but let's talk a little bit about like the party specifically. What did you, what did you think about like the details of the party? Would you want to be there? A hundred percent. It sounded so fun, so wild and very cool and so 80s. Like even when they were talking about Rob Lowe and like all of those. Goldie Hawn. Yes, Goldie Goldie Hawn. And I was like, um, Emilio Emilio Estevez. Like, yes, Charlie Sheen. Yes, Charlie Sheen. There were some epic name drops. And it's like, that's what you wanted from this book. So I get it. Like, it was definitely necessary within this book to show you what that culture is like. And I definitely wanted to be there. But I think maybe too much of the story took place throughout the party. Like, there was something missing. It just felt like the story was supposed to be about the Rivas and the second half was like, way too much about other distractions that had nothing to do with the Rivas. But that just comes back to the initial thought that we have is that this book is a setup from something else because I just, I can't believe that she would create a book and then have the whole second half be about characters that don't lend to the characters in that book. Like that don't move their story forward. Like, but like, I mean, just the way that TJR is like just describing like the little details, like the shag carpets and like the drugs and the music and everything. Like, I really feel like I was at this party, but it, to me personally, it was just too dragged on and it made this story go a little bit longer because to me, it, it was a story about the Rivas, but I, maybe that wasn't TJR's intention. Like, like I think that she wanted us to experience like we were at a party and there were just other people there too. Yeah. And I feel like I could fully picture being at that party. So that we can definitely check that off the box with this book Mm -hmm. Mm because she delivered that flawlessly for the reader. 
Um, but the only thing is that she probably could have taken out maybe like three or four side characters. I agree. There's a lot of extraness. Yeah. And as much as I loved like the little stories because mm -hmm. it really made you feel like you were there. Yeah. It it was a lot. I didn't think it was going to be that much. I didn't think. And then I'm like, and then I'm like, wait, who is this person again? What was their thing? Like, oh, they were on the tennis courts or whatever. (laughs) They were here. I felt like I I needed to know that story. And then I realized a half an hour later, 30 pages more that I really didn't need to know that character. Exactly. Like I wasn't confused reading it that I was like, wait a second, what's going on? But I'm like, okay. And then it it just, just said, oh, they ended up in handcuffs. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It was very fast. It was was very fast. Like to me, I feel like the, like the ending, it was just a little bit rushed because I wanted to know more what happened what happens to the Rivas. Right. But But I think it's also uh, symbolizing the fast paced life of Mm -hmm. celebrities. Like the fact that like, they're always go, go, go on the go. And they're trying to be one step ahead. But I think Taylor was trying to teach us like, no, just live in the moment, be present, just see where the story is taking you. It's not where you think it's going. And that's, the beauty of it. So crazy. Yeah. I normally just It was not predictable books. at all. Yeah. I normally really don't like books that are like taking place on one night only. Like I normally need I was like, just gonna I was just gonna say that, Leanna. <laughs> yeah, like I normally need like a lot. Like I need to like follow like you know, we love the dual yeah, timelines. Like, I need dual. to know like this history, like give yeah. me paint me the biggest friggin' picture, you know, but for whatever reason, I found that it really worked for the story. Like you got the one night only vibe, but you got enough of the backstory that like it was worth it. And I honestly, like as much as we say, like there were so many B-roll characters or not B-roll, but D or C list characters. Like it didn't take away from the story for me. Like I still loved it. I was still just as entertained during part two as I was part one. And I just am holding out hope that like all these people from part two are part of a bigger story. And like, soon we will get that gratification and knowing like, Hey, this is the reason why we read about these people, you know? And maybe there wasn't even a reason that like, obviously with Taylor Jenkins read, there could be a reason and it was probably intentional, but like, I, Honestly, I feel okay with the fact that they're it just it is what it is. It is what it is. I honestly I still love this book. I yeah. it didn't take out a lot from what I needed, but mm-hmm. there could have just been more elements included about the Riva family because the first part was us getting to know this family. Yeah. Like, who knows? Like, we could have gotten bored from just reading more, like, up about part one and not, like, yeah. like, we could have been, like, okay, like, I need something else here. Like, or we could, or it could have been, like, more of part one and then less of the, of the, at the party. And we would have been, like, but I feel like the party, like, wasn't done so well. Yeah. So, who knows, like, if it were the other way. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Coulda, shoulda. Coulda, shoulda, Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Well, we discussed a little bit how Mick shows up at the party. Um, 
do you guys think, because it kind of leaves us a little bit, not on a cliffhanger, but we don't know. Do you think that the siblings will ever see their father again? And do you think that they even want to? I really don't think they even need to see him again. I think they got that closure and that final chance with him and that realization that they really don't even need their dad. As sad as that sounds, he's never been there from the moment they arrived into the world. So they really didn't even know what they were missing. And they have each other that they didn't, they've never needed him. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, think if, I agree. I think, if, I think if anyone, it would be Kit that would maybe want to have some type of relationship since, you know, like she sent the invitation to him every year to come to the party, but that would be it. Like, I don't think Jay and Hyde will have anything to do with him. Nina's going to be in Portugal living her best life. So if (laughs) anything, maybe Kit, but I agree, Sam, like, I don't think they need to, I don't think they need anything. I don't think they'll gain anything from him being back in their life. Yeah. I also feel that like Kit is more, she was more like curious because she got the least amount of time with him and like never got to know him. I don't think that she's somebody that like needs her father to be there for her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, There was definitely a reason why she kept on sending that invitation to him, but I feel like they never even covered why she always sent it to him. Well, I mean, I think she was just curious to get to know her father because she didn't even know him. Like, he didn't even know who she was. or Well, I mean, he knew who she was, but he didn't even, like, recognize her. And she didn't recognize him. So, like, I think that it would just be, like, curious to, like, meet him and see what he's like. But I think that she also, now that Nina's gone, like, I feel like she grew up a little bit more, too. So I feel like she might just be like, I'm, I'm good. And also she has a new bestie slash sister. Casey. Yeah, Casey. Yeah. So even like a whole that was a weird addition. Oh my god. Guys, I needed a minute to be like, who's Casey? Yeah. Honestly, that was the weirdest character to add into it. I don't really know what Casey's purpose was. Yeah, I agree. I think maybe just to throw off Mick and just further show us how mick sucks and how much yeah how much he sucks (laughs) like it could have just been like an extra thing like oh my god he had another baby like wow this guy was just all over the place so it could have been that it could have been something more to it but i was just like wait there's something else here yeah (laughs) i forgot about i guys i forgot about casey so (laughs) not like we really know if casey's dad is mick but i think It's just interesting the the way that Casey came about and No, but not only that, not only do we not know if for sure her father's Mick, but I think it says a lot the way that the Riva siblings just like automatically embraced her. I was say yes. they, they they embrace yeah. her anyways, whether they know know if she's his daughter or not. Like yeah. Nina was just like so kind to her and caring and like included her. Like she brought her to the beach and was like, This is Casey and introduced her, like it's so almost like second nature. Literally, they're just accepting her anyways. So, well, so the party ended up in flames. Quite Nina, literally in flames. <laughs> literally in flames. <laughs> Nina ends up, Nina leaves everything behind, sells the restaurant, goes to Portugal. What do you think happens next for all of the siblings? Because 
we found out like a, a little bit and we know a little bit, but what do you think happens next for all of them? I honestly love the way that the party ended up in flames because I think from the very beginning when I started the book, I expected this like huge significant thing to happen at the party. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this huge thing didn't happen, it was just the fact that the house went up in flames and that was almost like their life. Like they were starting a new chapter. It was and very metaphoric. It was you guys very metaphoric. Do you guys not think like Brandon, Ashley, like Laura, like I thought they would all die. I thought I thought I thought that Brandon and Ashley were going to get into this like huge car accident and like Ashley was going to I thought they were all going to die. I thought everyone was going to die. Like I was just waiting for someone to die. Like I thought there was going to be some pivotal moment that happens and there wasn't. I honestly loved that it wasn't predictable though because that's like it's usually so predictable in any type of story where you're just like, okay, I know how this is going to end. A bunch of them are going to die because there was a huge fire. But the fact that like, it was just like symbolism for like a new chapter, starting fresh, getting rid of that old baggage that you didn't even need, getting rid of Mick, getting rid of Brandon, getting Mm -hmm. rid of those unnecessary materialistic things that she didn't need in her life. But she still had her family. And they didn't die. And that was the reason why they didn't die because she still needed them, but not in her life in the moment while Mm. she was moving to Portugal. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. But like, it would have been so nice to see where Hud and Jay and Kit. Me too. Like I I was going to say, like, I wish like I, I liked how the story was, was wrapped up. I mean, we're still thinking about it. We're still talking about it. I do wish that there was like just a short epilogue, just a little something like even a year later, even knowing that like they visited Nina and she's good or like something about like, um, like Kit's career, just, just something else, um, to kind of tie it all up in a pretty bow because we do love a happily ever after. We love an HEA at Girl I feel like that was kind of intentional that there was no epilogue though because I I feel like an epilogue wouldn't have done any of their stories justice because they're so complex and dynamic that like obviously they're all going to be seeing each other still because Mm -hmm. that is who they are. They're always going to be there for each other. And I think Taylor just wants everyone to assume whatever they would like to assume whatever they about want to yeah. like it's up to it's up to interpretation and everyone has like a different opinion but i just like when things are wrapped up in a pretty bow at the me end too. i do me I too know. i know well so I think that's, that's why what we're the also TV series yeah. is for well we're holding on and hoping that there's gonna be something more too or is it but a TV, tv series i think it's a tv series it's a tv series and 99 percent sure Honestly, the fact that this story is becoming a TV series already just goes to show how much effect and impact that this book really has and how much it resonates on the reader. I agree. Yeah. Like, obviously, I think, like, Hud and Jay, they're good, close as ever. They have the baby. Jay's heart is okay. (laughs) They're both surfing. (laughs) Uh, Kit is, like, a world famous surfer nina's chilling in portugal mick is, <laughs> mick is a to- lost cause 
<laughs> like that's what I'm, I'm hoping has happened for them. But I mean, I, I think guess. the fact that we can all assume pretty much the same thing just goes yeah. to show how much we really do know about the characters. Well, <laughs> speaking about TJR's writing, we mentioned how it was so easy for us to think of our Hollywood treatment for the, re- the siblings and Mick in June. So let's discuss our Hollywood treatment because I think they were all, we were all spot on in different characters. And I think at different points in the story, like I really like, like someone's Mick when they were younger and someone a little bit older. Like, I think we really were spot on about our Hollywood treatment this time in our casting. So let's go through each character. We'll each say who we had and let's discuss. Okay. Let's start with Nina. Sam, who did you choose as Nina? So Nina honestly came to me right away as Nina Dobrev. I don't know if it's because of the same name, but Mm -hmm. honestly, Nina Dobrev to me, like in real life, is a very like free spirit um, and just like seems like such a nurturer to like her friends and that's who Nina really embodies. Um, and in real life, she's dating a snowboarder, which is like similar yes. to her. So like she kind of is. And just like, like the tall lean, like body yeah. brown hair, like, like I with just, the flow with the flow. Like I can just picture her on a surfboard. She's totally. very LA. Yeah. Even though she is one. Canadian. She is Canadian. Yeah, she is Canadian. Grazie. Um, Leanna, who did you choose for Nina? So I kind of saw a combo of two people. I saw mostly Lily James, um, mm-hmm. but I also really kind of also saw Lily Collins. So like clearly there's a Lily theme here. Lily, yeah. <laughs> a Lily theme, yeah. But I saw both of them. They came to me kind of pretty quickly early on, I would say, but they weren't like the most distinct of all the characters. Like there definitely were other people who I saw way quicker, way more with way more certainty, but like, I'm confident in this pick. That's a good pick too. Yeah. Lily Collins. I can see that. Thanks. Lily Collins. I chose Anna de Armas and um, I don't, I haven't actually seen anything that she's been in to me. She's known as Ben Affleck's ex-girlfriend, but just like, <laughs> like the brown wavy hair, I, I kind of pictured her as Nina. And then someone also mentioned Lily Aldridge, um, the supermodel. Like I pictured yeah. her just someone like tall, lean, like kind, I guess, kind of like a model type body with like brown hair. That's kind of who I pictured for Nina. But I think that Nina is kind of up to interpretation. Like, I, I feel like there were other characters that came a little bit quicker to me than, than Nina. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Same. But let's, Same. let's do Jay. Sam, who did you pick for Jay? Okay, so this is the character who I knew right away. Mm-hmm. And I know I said that about Nina, but actually <laughs> this is this is about Jay. This um, one you mean it. <laughs> this I actually mean it, I swear. <laughs> so I saw Chase Stokes, it, mostly because I loved Outer Banks. And yes, I yeah. just like, I right when Taylor Jenkins Reid was going through his character, I was like, this is Chase. Like, I don't know why. And the fact that like me and Madison both had the same character. 
Yeah. And I haven't, even actor. Seen, I haven't even seen Outer Banks. I just know Chase Stokes. But when <laughs> I think, guys, don't come at me. I have a lot to do in July, clearly. Um, <laughs> when, I think, when I think of surfing, he just came to me right away. Just like a hot surfer. The flowy hair. Flowy and like hair. Yeah. Easy breezy. Like, I feel like we're saying that about yeah. every single character. But like, no, but also my life. I watched Outer Banks and adored it. And I did not, like, even, it didn't even dawn on me, Chase, until you guys both said Chase when we were going through this. And then I was fucking pissed because I was like, I love that show. And, like, when you think surfer in pop culture now, who do you think of? You think of him. Like, that's, yeah. And I was so mad. And then after you said it, I was like, oh, never mind my pick. Like, I fully see Chase. Like, it was epic. But my choice who I like saw while I was reading it and I guess I'm confident in it, but like looking back, Chase Stokes would be way better. Um, is Miles Teller. And I don't know what about him. I'm like obsessed with him a lot. Everyone knows. This, I love him too. Love him. Yeah. He's just like a mushy guy. And in my head, I just like pictured him kind of spectacular now era, but like maybe with a bit longer hair. I always think of Miles Teller and Whiplash. Like I just love oh, him. Oh my yeah. God. I forgot Same. about that. I waited outside of his movie premiere at TIFF to try to beat him. And I, it was an embarrassing time. Wait, if, I asked, if I asked Zach, what are like his top five movies? I bet you one of them would be Whiplash. It's such a good movie. <laughs> it's really it's good. So and good. that made him, that really transitioned him into it a did. serious, a serious actor. actor. I love him. Anyway. Also his fiance is gorgeous. Just they're married. No, they're married. Oh yeah. They're married. Also his wife is gorgeous. She's stunning. She is. She's okay. beyond gorgeous. Let's do HUD. Sam, what, who did you this see? This was the hardest actor yeah, for me to figure out. Honestly, I just, I, I really couldn't place a, a name or an actor to, to HUD. I picked Tom Holland, but like, honestly, I don't even see him as HUD. And... Mm. Even with like all of the description and everything, I just, I, I don't know. It's so funny. Like you say that that one was the hardest for you. Like this one truly was the easiest for me. I saw Josh Hutcherson right away. So the second, they, the second they said he's like short and athletic, I was like, yeah, Josh, that is you. They also and said he, he was pale. Yeah. And he kind of looks like Miles. Like they could like fit in a family if you like think yes. about it. Yeah. So that was my pick. It was pretty easy to think about. For HUD, I saw Noah Centineo. Um, just like really sweet Peter Kavinsky vibes. <laughs> like good looking underdog. Um, is that's Peter Kavinsky an underdog? I mean, no, but at, like they had like, they were fake dating at first. I mean, she didn't see how amazing he really was from the very beginning. So <laughs> it's just funny it. to me that you picked Noah Centineo, who's like a giant, like he's so tall. And she explicitly <laughs> says that Hud is small, small know, and bulky. But, yeah. But I just, I don't know. Wait, I have a hilarious commentary to add to the fact that Noah Centineo is so tall. And this is a very niche comment, but I Hope that you both can pick up on it. What? Do you ever watch the show The Fosters? I, yeah, I did. I yeah. didn't watch it, but he's in it. I again. did. Yeah, he's hey, in it. 
not only is he in it, he replaces. He replaces. He replaces. The, yeah. the guy. He yeah. replaces Max from from Wizards yes. of the Place from yeah. Wizards, who even in platform shoes is probably not five foot tall. <laughs> And then they put Noah Centineo and just didn't address it one season. Comes in this guy that's seven feet tall. <laughs> I, think so I, I think I missed that TJR said he was short because Noah Centineo is really tall. But I thought I could picture Noah like surfing, taking pictures. Yeah. I yeah, feel like yeah, he's artsy. interested. Yeah, in very artsy, interested in And a hype man. Yeah, like just like a good guy. So that's uh-huh. why I picked. No, and I get that. That's yeah. why I picked Noah. Okay, moving on to Kit. <clears throat> Sam, who did you have for Kit? So I saw Kaya Gerber, which like, I feel like she just embodies Kit as a whole for me, even though Kaya Gerber is not an actress. <laughs> Those very like so very Malibu vibes. She very is Malibu. Such Malibu vibes. Yeah, very California also vibes. Yeah. Like she's a part of that celebrity culture, mm-hmm. like with her family, but also with all of her friends. She's also dating Jacob Lordy, so mm-hmm. she just is thrown and thrust into that whole lifestyle. But and she kind of looks like um, the rest of the siblings that I chose. You have a nice little family. (laughs) (laughs) I love that haircut, by the way. I know. I love that haircut. I could just see her being like the younger, like the youngest sibling. And she's also young in real life. So Mm -hmm. I can picture her playing like a 22-year-old. Right. Elsie, who did you see as Kit? So another very random pick on my (laughs) behalf, but like also came to me so fast. Um, for Kid, I saw the indie singer Maggie Rogers, who I'm so obsessed with. And it's partially probably because I've been listening to a lot of Maggie lately, but also just like when they explained the way she looks in the book, just like beachy waves, doesn't really know how to dress her body, covered in freckles, like doesn't really like still trying to like come into her own. I just feel like that's a very Maggie, like effortless beauty vibe. Mm-hmm. And I just like saw her right away. And I actually think that's a really good pick. Like I'm confident in that one. I'm confident in all your picks. Everyone. Oh, thanks. Um, the thanks. Kit, Kit actually came to me first and it's such a random actress, but I thought of um, Danielle Campbell and yeah. I, I don't even know why. And Sam, I think you also mentioned I, her too. I originally chose so, her too. And I see it so perfectly. I see it so perfectly. And I don't know why she came to me but she did I could just see her playing like the younger sister just like the long beachy hair beachy waves I can just really see her as well and I thought that was so random but yet so good I know and I never think of her like now that when you said it I was like oh my god okay yeah but she's not somebody that would ever be at the front of my mind like never really never I don't know why I don't know why either I chose her, but like Not I, can fully, I can, I can also really picture her playing kit. Me too. Okay. Let's go into Mick. Um, Sam, who did you have for Mick? So I really based my Mick and my June off of the younger versions of themselves, which I sort yeah. of wish I had done like an older version of the two of them. It was more of like at the beginning of the story when they were 
meeting each other and just starting out their lives. So they were like 23 and 25. So my mech was, um, I chose Felix Millard, who- Honestly, an amazing choice. I can fully picture him playing a younger mech because he just has that like whole rock star- um, edginess to him and yeah. he also in Ginny and Georgia he plays the main guy and he's just such like a bad outsider, boy bad boy yeah <laughs> we love a bad boy yeah we do. Um, th- I think that is like the perfect young Mick right yeah and like yeah. his hair and just like he's too cool everything um, I, yeah Elsie, who did Elsie? Who did you pick for Mick? So I chose John Mayer as Mick, which I honestly really friggin' still see. Like he's just like bad boy, sweet talker, smooth voice vibes. Yeah. But again, kind of the young Mick. Like I could see how they can make John look older, so it would mm-hmm. work. But I also a huge part of me saw Miguel from This Is Us, like old mm-hmm. Miguel. Yeah, when he has like his silver hair and he's silver fox vibes, like that. I saw that too. So I guess like a combination, even though they don't really look alike, I kind of like separated them as like young, like old neck, and that's what yeah. I saw. I can um, see John Mayer. I can see, but I could also see John Mayer being like older Mick too, or even yeah. like mid. Yeah, like I could like age him, but yeah, play like a thirty-year-old Mick, but also an older Mick, but an older Mick, like. Um, I chose Diego Bonetta for Mick and I'm so like, good. I, I stand by this choice. Yeah. It's a really good choice. Again, another one that I literally would have never thought of. Oh, random. <laughs> but like you did it. But like, again, like the leather jacket, rock vibes, rock shaggy and hair, shaggy hair, eighties. Okay. But um, you, you guys know that like Mick Riva, the character He's not like rock and roll. He's a crooner. He's like supposed to be like Frank Sinatra vibes. I know. Yeah, I don't like. It's never it's, says that he's like a rock. No, singer. I know. It just when I think of like when I hear Mick Riva, I think of Mick Jagger. Yeah, yeah. that's the only reason why I think of rocker. Right. Like and seriously, also like, I'm not even also kidding. Like 70s, 80s. Like you just think of like that era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that kind of music where it was like rock and roll, like mm-hmm. doing drugs. But the but thing is, by that time, he's already so old. Like he's in the 80s, old. he's so old. Like his prime was in like the 60s, 70s. And I think like that yeah. song for June, I think it's like a ballad. Like I actually, like it's, it's not a rock song. <laughs> it's not. It's like a Frank Sinatra crooner. Yeah. He's a crooner. <laughs> like I'm not even being funny. That's well, what I mean. But, but we all saw a different... Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's what's so funny. We keep, funny. we keep going back to this like rock and roll leather jacket, but like he probably wore a suit <laughs> yeah. and tie and a top hat. <laughs> I think, well, but you know what? Also, I think the fact that he abandoned his family played also a big role with like who I saw him as. Yeah. You see, like the villain, yeah, the villain boy. That's yeah. who we see. But I mean, part one took place in the 50s. He probably wasn't wearing a leather jacket. He was probably in like a suit. Yeah. yeah, he like looked like Noah from the Notebook. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love Noah. He wasn't. Yeah, that's Noah. what he was wearing, like but beige like pants and a, yeah, and a shirt and tucked in. Yeah, and, with like a pen, a pen, like high rise, high rise pants. <laughs> yeah, shirt tucked in, slick hair. That's exactly. probably what he was. And we have like, like a totally and then like put a hat and then like put a hat on his <laughs> like, head top. 
you know, like a little flicked it on. Like the, like a paper boy hat. Yes. Like a mailman. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Lastly, let's do June. LC, let's talk, let's talk about June. I saw Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, like her as mm-hmm. Midge. Mm-hmm. I saw her as young June and old June. I just like, yeah. again, at like 50s housewife with the pearl necklace and like the perfectly coiffed hair, but like secretly drinking vodka out of your handbag vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Sam, who did you see as June? So again, I saw a younger version of June. I saw Bailey Madison, (laughs) but like, I obviously cannot picture her as the older version because again, in real life, she's like, what, 22 years old. Um, But like, I can picture her and Felix as. That's a great young Mick and young June. Yeah. I love that combo. Great combo. Matt, who Um, did you see? For June. So I also saw. Not even like a younger, like I could have seen like Bailey Madison is super young. Then um, I chose Lucy Hale. Like I think I could picture Lucy Hale as like a young mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but as I kept reading, um, I also saw Mandy Moore, like when she got a little bit older, like again, kind of this is us vibes, like in like the seventies. Yeah. I, I saw Mandy Moore as like an older June when the kids were a little bit older. But I think when we also chose our Hollywood treatment, it was near the beginning of the story. So I was picturing a young Mick and a young June. Right. But yeah. great picks, ladies. Great so picks. Good. I've never if, seen a Hollywood treatment so clear in my So head. clear. And yeah. I think that if any of these actors, actresses, models are make it to the TV story, TV series, we'll be very happy. <laughs> Honestly, can you imagine if like they scour the internet for dream cast and they just start like <laughs> casting people based on fandoms? <laughs> Thousands off of our picks. If it's our picks. would be the busiest woman in Hollywood, Lucy Hale. <laughs> Seriously, though, she is in every single canceled TV show. No, no but it, like, it's also I hate to say it. I love her. No, she's guys, in every single person's she's dream. Every cast. single person, any character that is described with like sh- like brown hair, you think Lucy Hale? Yeah, and also the fact that she is playing the main character in the hating game, the hating game. Yeah. Yeah. But still just, she's just the most iconic thing. She's just such an iconic face and she's so dynamic and can just play any character. I can just see her in any role. We're giving Lucy Hale a lot of clout right now, but we'll see what happens. Well, ladies, let's, before we wrap up, let's do our star rating out of five stars what we thought about the book. I know we've said the whole time that we love the book, but we have been super nitpicky and very tough. We're very tough uh, critics. So let's do our overall star rating. Elsie, you're up. This is going to come as a shock <laughs> to many or a shock to few. It'll be one way or the other. <laughs> I know that I normally am very tough with my reviews and my stars. I don't give them out so freely, but I can confidently say that this was a five-star read. There was not one element of it that I would change. Like I really loved all of it. Even the parts where I feel like we could have done without still loved them. Mm-hmm. And I would not make any like edits or recommendations to the story. Like it was pretty damn close to flawless and I'm going to give it five, five stars. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's beg okay. from Elsie, good guys. To say. That's she good to say. Yeah. She doesn't just hand out these stars. She does yeah. not. Um, so, wow. But we love to see it. We love to see it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, guys. Sam, what about you? So I would have to give this book a 4.75 because – I honestly, like, I really did love this book. I thought it was so layered, so complex, so dynamic, just with, like, the sibling bonds and their own story. And also just the way that TJR conceptualized this entire story. She made you want to be at this party, go to Malibu, and be living this lavish lifestyle. But... I would switch a few things about from this book and that's why I can't give it a full five stars. But honestly, I really enjoyed reading this book and the fact that there was just, you couldn't stop thinking about it and I couldn't stop reading it. It's close to a five for me. Love that. Um, okay. Well, I'm actually going to agree with Sam. I'm also giving it a 4.75. Yes, though, would I recommend this book? Absolutely. My friend messaged me today and said that she got Malibu Rising and she said she just did it based off of like seeing us kind of talk about it on Girlmance, like not actually asking for our thoughts. And like, I felt good that she bought it because I'm like, I definitely recommend it. So I would highly recommend this book. I still like remember it to this day. The writing was done. was so fantastic. Um, TJR is an absolute genius. Like I can't say anything bad about the writing or anything that was done to this book. The only reason why it's a 4.75 was just the side characters. We are hoping that something's going to happen from them. But otherwise, it was just a little dragged on for me at the end. And I felt that the ending was just a little bit rushed. And I love to know what happens to everyone and make sure that everyone is good when the story ends. But that's why it's a 4.75. But the story was amazing. Um, I mean, it was it was a book about a party in the 80s. And yet, like, we're all loving it. Like, yes, I was born in the 80s. So I on the cusp. <laughs> I was I four months. I yeah, you literally were on the cusp. Like so, but like yet, like I kind of wish I experienced this party in the eighties. So just the way that we were just drawn into this world and so immersed in it, um, it was a fantastic book. And again, we are the biggest TJR stands. And shout I shout out to TJR. Honestly, the fact that this book was all written in third person and the fact that we loved it in so true so true i've never i'm usually so confused when a book is third person but i honestly i had no issues with it no and more than that zero issues yeah like more than that like madison especially like is the first person to be like third person (laughs) peace out i'm out (laughs) and like we made it through this entire episode and not once brought up the fact that it was in third person i was was not just gonna say it was not brought up and when i started reading it i wasn't even like guys it's in third person shit like i'm done yeah i didn't even think about it that's when you know i was not confused i knew like whose point of view it was. I, it was it like, it, I don't think it would have done anything to the story if it was in first person. Like that's how, you know, how 
epic TJR is and how her writing is. So kudos. That's when you know it's a friggin' good one. That's yeah. when you know. So seriously, guys, 4.75s and fives. This is a book that you all need to read. And it just, it caters to a very wide range of people. Agreed. Even mm-hmm. if, even for people like us who love a romance novel, we don't, we don't, we didn't need that from this. We no, just like needed I was, a layered I, book. I wasn't even upset that it wasn't a romance book. It had ele- like, there were so many different elements. It was so layered. I've been recommending this book like crazy to, to anyone that's looking just for like a good summer read. So this is a like great number one. summer read. Yeah. This is it's number so one on my list. Gang. You don't want to put it down. No, we loved it. Amen. So, amen. Thanks TJR. <laughs> Thanks TJR. You're the best. You're the best. And now well, we just want to read the rest of her novels. Well, that's literally what I'm going to do. And just like the fact that we had to re-record and how we could just get right back and pick up where we left off and still discussing it, the book to this. No, I'm like, also, we've obviously repeated ourselves from what we were said last time because Mm -hmm. like, there's only so much to say, but I think that we actually said more this time, which is crazy because I felt like last time we said so much. So I feel like we covered everything we said last time, plus more in the same amount of time. We, you know, I think could be like masters on this book. We we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can write a full-on dictionary about this book. Exactly. Oh my god, an encyclopedia. Sorry, an encyclopedia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, guys, thanks so much for listening. Sorry that we're about a week late coming out with this podcast. I know all of you are on the edge of your seat, dying, <laughs> waiting to hear what Romance Book Club thought. If but you know what happened, now you know. Now you know. If you yeah. were wondering where has Gromance been, where is the podcast, here it is. Well, thanks so much for tuning in and listening to our book of the month podcast where we discuss Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Make sure to give it five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And stay tuned for what our July book of the month is going to be. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.